fella. What you got there? Oh, this? It's, it's my phone. Phone? Where do you talk? Where's the cord? Uh, it's... I'm just checking Facebook right now. A book of faces? Might that be like a picture album? Yeah, yeah, there's pictures, but, but you also, you know, you share stuff with your friends, you know, like how people annoy you and why your views on life are better than everyone else's. Oh, that's kind of like the diner in town. Um, yeah, maybe. It's a place for gossip. Well, yeah, but this is for good stuff, too. It's not just... Yeah, but mostly gossip. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And when certain people come into the diner, you learn of their schedules, and that way you can avoid them. Oh, I, I just unfriend them. Facebook. Who does this? Everybody. And this telephone does all that? Yeah, I mean, you can end relationships with this thing, slander people, check baseball scores. And this is normal? Totally. It's as normal as going to the ATM machine and getting out 20 bucks. The what? Morning, everybody. We are, as you saw from that roll-in, we're talking about what is normal and how it's constantly changing. Um, if you were put in a time capsule, if that's possible, and frozen, and 50 years from now you were to come back and, you know, things would have changed. Lots of things that were maybe even against the law would be now legal uh, 50 years later. And so we're just trying to draw that out to help us understand and get our minds around how there's this constant change in, in mainstream culture and in what is acceptable. And so the goal of our series is to show how God's definition of normal is uh, to still be built upon, to be understood and then built upon. When we're talking about normal, really we're, we're looking at issues that are morally acceptable, um, that he defines what is morally in bounds and right, and, and that last week we looked at how when we follow God's ways and God's definition of normal, it leads to some things. It leads to life. It leads to good. Um, life within the boundaries, within the fences, um, it actually can go really well for us. But when we either you know, bust through the fence or scale over the wall, we find that life kind of dries up. And we find that life can even be cut short depending on how we interact with what God says um, and how he defines normal. Last week we talked about how in culture, there's in mainstream culture, there's this tidal wave of thinking depending on the different issues. There's a variety of hot topics that we looked at last week. And, and these things kind of sweep through um, culture, through our country. And uh, today what I want to do is I want to look at how does that, how, how are we as those who are trying to follow Christ, I know many of you have chosen to follow Christ, some of you are here and you're exploring that, how, how are we to relate in the culture with the flow, the tidal wave of, of media, you know, media and just mainstream culture that, that changes the definition of normal and primarily what God has said is normal and in bounds for us. Um, God wants us to influence the culture. He wants us to influence the social structures for good. Um, people are wired to organize socially. It's just part of you know what what begins to occur when groups come together. Um, if you've ever served on a jury, a few hours on a jury, and then a social structure begins to form. And if there's an there's a formal structure on a jury, and then there's even an informal structure. And if you're serving on a jury for weeks, you know you'll you'll notice this happening. Or if you get stuck in an elevator for five to six hours with strangers, all of a sudden a social structure will begin to form um, with those people that you're stuck with. And there'll, there'll be this 
organization. Leaders begin to emerge. There's, there's followers. And uh, we see this, though, most of the time on TV. We see this especially in reality TV. Um, one of the early reality TV shows with survivors still, I think, going. So it's still going. And, and a social structure develops within this group of, of contestants who are, who are trying to survive and ultimately win a million dollars. Um, but there's a social structure that we cannot see from um, from our living room. You know, we're just we're just excited about what we're what we're watching, and then all of a sudden a winner, you know, emerges, gets a million dollars. And sometimes the winner is a huge shocker to you because or to us because we're only seeing a slice of the social structure from from TV and from our living room. But it's really the one who navigates this social structure that typically wins. Sometimes they navigate, sometimes they manipulate the structure, and, and they end up winning. They usually have to stay within some boundaries to, to pull that off. Uh, but for, for our purpose today, it's important to realize that an organization just develops in culture, in every culture. And it's, it's important for us to understand how do we influence those things for, for good. Because in our lives, it's not, it's not a game. It's not, you know, our reality is not a game. It's there's things that depend on us. So I want to pray. I'm extremely tired physically. I went on a mountain biking adventure last night, and I'm not a mountain biker. And I, I think it's the first time I've ever biked up mountains before. I've ridden bikes before, but never like that. And um, with my neighbor, who's about 15 years older than me, <laughs> and I'm like, my lower back is just hurting. So, And I'm not a fan of snakes. And he told me that there were... Well, I said, do you ever see snakes out here? He's like, oh, yeah, almost every time. I'm like, great. You know? I've got bit by a snake once before, and so I have a snake issue. So anyway, no, but no snake bites, so that's good. So, but let's pray. I want to, I like to pray so that I can get focused on myself. So, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and how we really can build a life on it. Thank you that you've already defined how life should work and how to live in a way that brings good. Right, Lord, I pray that for, for us here, that we would experience the good that you've um, designed us for. Lord, that though there's trouble in this world, and that though we even get ourselves into trouble and messes, Lord, I pray that, that you would allow us to restart some areas of our lives, help us to get perspective on areas that maybe we've done wrong, help us to get things straightened out, Lord, with you and with others, God. Guide us this morning as we try to understand how to interact with some of the social structures that that we live with. Uh, just ask that your word would uh, come across clear, Lord. Pray against uh, distractions, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, <laughs> in America, mainstream culture tends to eventually get solidified in government. We put people in office, and the people we put there, they carry the values, oftentimes, of mainstream culture. And depending on the issues... We can, you know, turn into a ball of emotion over the politics of our day. We can, with the decisions being made or the laws that are being put into place or the judges who take office, all of this stuff, we can get very, very emotional over these issues. Maybe not crying, but emotional, stirred up, angry, anxious, um, agitated, frustrated. And it all gets very personal because we understand that all these decisions that, that occur in the government and the laws and those people that are put in office, those things and people will impact our lives because we live in this, in this country um, and in this state and in this city. So there's a wide range of emotional responses to culture and to government. 
Probably the easiest thing to do is to just grumble and complain about our leaders. That's probably the easiest thing to do. Um, And if you turn on the radio, if you listen to talk radio, this can get amplified as talk radio personalities. They they are fired up. And they get you even more fired up. Because all of a sudden, you know, you're having a good day and then someone's screaming at you in talk radio form. Um, I used to work in San Bernardino right after college, and I would drive on the 10 freeway back to Walnut, where I lived, and I would turn on KFI around, like, 5 o'clock. And, like, I would go from needing to, like, decompress from a work day to, to even more, like, anxious and agitated and wanting to scream at things and people because these guys are screaming at me and they're screaming at other people on the talk radio, and they're getting me fired up about issues. It's not really cooling me down. If anything, it's just working me up. But the problem is, is that as a Christ follower, I get influenced by that stuff, and then I want to complain. And then I want to bicker, and I want to argue. But the problem is, the Scripture says that I'm to do everything without grumbling or complaining. There's a verse in Philippians that talks about that that should be one of the marks of a Christ follower, to do everything without grumbling or complaining. And so, uh, but the idea is that, you know, we should stand out in a way that we, we, we stand out like stars in a culture where we're just, we shine brightly. We, we do life differently. Um, now the reason that we shine differently if we'll, if we'll not complain is because everyone else complains in this culture. Everyone complains. There's something to complain about. It's the easy thing to do. So when you don't do that, you really stand out. You, you look different to the world and to the culture. Another basic emotional response, you know, first one is really just to complain and argue. Another one is just to lash out. And in order to silence those with opposing views, maybe that's through protest, real, real, uh, verb, take a verbal stand, maybe even a violent stand against the culture and against some different things. And that's, that's one thing you could do. Another emotional response. Another possible emotional response is just withdraw and to pull back from culture, pull back from relating to people. Uh, because you just can fear controversial issues. There's certain issues that if you begin to talk about in this culture, you're like, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. I don't want to be labeled. I don't want to be known as. And so to each his own. And so we begin to, to consider morality more as just an individual matter. Um, but with all these possible responses, what, what does God want us to do? We're going to look at Romans chapter 13, really lays out God's view of government, and and what role we should play. Look at Romans chapter 13. In Romans 13, Paul, one of the key Christian leaders in the first century, he's laying out guidelines for the Christian church that had formed there in Rome. And they were asking several questions. One of those questions is, how, how do we interact with the established government? How do we work with the government that is overseeing us? How do we work within this government? Rome was the world power in, in, in that day, and most of the Jews and most of the Christians resented Roman power and control. And there was always a threat of revolt for those groups. Uh, Nero was the emperor at this time, and Nero was known for his tyranny and his extravagance. Here's a, a sculpture of Nero. And if you look at him here, he appears like a, a very regal guy. He just looks like a nice, upstanding man. Pointing the way to change, and but this this man was brutal. He was a he was a tyrant. He even murdered his own mother. 
He was an early persecutor of the Christians. He would capture Christians and he would burn them at night to light up his gardens. Here's a painting showing some of that. Um, so he would, he would tie these Christians to stakes. Sometimes he'd dip them in, in wax, but he would light them up. And this was called human torches. And he would use this to light up um, his garden for parties. And so the Christians in Rome, this was, the, this was their government. This was what they were interacting with. They're trying to figure out, how do, we, how do we work within this setting? Now imagine yourself there. Sometimes we think, oh, it's so bad right now. We can't do this, or these laws are changing, and they're restricting my rights. And This puts it into perspective, I think. Um, but the Christians there, they received this letter from, from Paul, and these instructions that we're about to read must have come as quite a surprise considering who was in charge of their government. Okay, So this is the context of, of what we're about to read. Is Paul writes, Here, here's how you should interact with the government. This verse... Verse 1 of chapter 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay, so Paul begins this section by explaining that, hey, government is is God's idea. He works with government. He works even through government. He can even work through what we would maybe label as, a, as an evil government. God can actually work some purposes out through even rising up a leader for a purpose. We don't always see the purpose. We, we see things from one side and we're like, how in the world? But from God's perspective, he can work and then he can remove. He can work through evil in order to punish evil. He can, If you trace through history, even through the Bible, you can see how this happens how God can still work through government. But this gets very personal very quick because essentially what Paul is saying to the Roman Christians is that they need to obey the government. They need to obey their leaders. And to disobey the leaders and to not pay taxes is to really disobey what God has instituted. And so he's not saying you have to agree with your government. He's not saying you have to be their biggest fans. But he is telling them, and and we could take this and apply this in our day, that we need to obey our government in order to avoid judgment brought on by rebellion. That's really, there's a trust issue going on here. Do I really trust that God can work through these leaders? Do I trust God to protect? Do I trust God to provide, to promote the right things through this government? And sometimes we're questioning that. But he goes on to say this more about our relationship. Verse 3 says, <clears throat> says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. But to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. You know, those who obey don't need to be afraid of those in power. In fact, civil leaders, he's saying, may even commend your good conduct. Next verse says this, verse 4. For he, speaking of the leader, is God's servant for your good. Now again, this, this, like, really? The guy, the one who's, he's God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Next verse says this, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. The government and its laws have a way of acting like a gatekeeper. They, they establish boundaries on life. And so the laws that they put into place, those are boundaries. I'm grateful for for, for many of the boundaries and the laws 
that, that are upheld in our country. Because some of those really promote justice for all people. Some of those laws protect the innocent. They punish the guilty. And what that ultimately does is it, it preserves the rights of all people against our sinful tendencies, which would destroy and damage, if not restrain. We need boundaries. And so the government leaders, they establish things that really promote, that can promote good and can restrain the wrong things. Uh, but regardless, some people are just going to blow past the boundaries. Some of us, some of you, even me, we will blow through boundaries because in our mind, some laws are just meant to be broken, right? We all have our, in our mind, the laws that we're willing to break or maybe fudge on, you know. But in reality, the laws of any structure or society have a teaching function. They, they're teaching. Our laws are teaching our children and us as adults what is morally acceptable. Because essentially we, we conclude, well, if it's legal, then it must be okay. The challenge is that whatever is changing in our culture and how normal continues to be redefined, then things that are legal are con- you know, it's constantly changing. But in that way, the laws, they act like a gatekeeper. And when something harmful is legalized, what it does is it opens up the gate for many people to explore what they would have never otherwise considered an option for their life. And now all of a sudden, it's changed. So Paul, he's laying this out, <clears throat> and they're dealing with a different set of issues than we are. But nevertheless, there's still this structure that's ruling over them. Look at verse 6. It talks about some specific ways that we support and then it gets very convicting, I think. For because of this, he says, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. So then he says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So our responsibility towards the government goes beyond just obedience and following the laws, but it also includes respecting those leaders those governors, those people who are in charge due to the position of authority that they have over us, we show our support in a variety of ways. One, we obey the law, but also we, we pay our taxes. We write the check or they just take it. You know. you know, They just deduct it and you don't get it back. Um, but more than even paying, quick plug, that's, we have a month until it's due, just so you know. You're like, oh no, I forgot. Well, you've got a month. so, And then they'll give you some extensions, I, I understand. So... But more than paying our taxes, we can pay with our words. We, we pay with our words as we show honor, as we show respect, as we speak in a respectful way about our government's leaders. Now, that's really difficult because there's different emotional responses that come up, and then there's vocal people that get us pulled in a different direction, which makes it very difficult. But we're to honor, it says, these men and women who have these positions because ultimately we trust and we're really honoring the one who placed them there. And this certainly challenges us on a very basic level of when we open our mouth, being really mindful of what we say and how we say it. Now, the government has been put in a place to provide some parameters, but answering moral questions can be overwhelming if we just look to ourselves or if we look within, you know, or only look to our government alone. Christ followers, we have a higher authority. We live God's way. We are to live God's way regardless of the laws. Just because it's not in law doesn't mean you can step out of God's boundaries. We can learn God's boundaries by getting into the Bible, by digging into what does God say is normal 
What does he say is the life that, that he wants me to live? And whether it's morality or ethics, the Scripture deals with these different issues. I want to invite you, if you weren't here last week, go on our website and, and look at some of the hot topic issues of our culture and see what God's definitions are related to how he defines normal. But as Christ followers, we have a real responsibility. Here, here's part of our responsibility. It's our duty to engage our culture in a loving way. According to the scriptures, loving people and influencing people, uh, those ideas are tied together. So check out this passage in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Paul says to a different church, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That's people who don't follow Christ, people who don't yield their lives to Jesus Christ. They're not yielding to God's ways. So walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time, of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. This passage describes how we need to use the time that we have on earth. We, we should act wisely. We should, we should think critically about what is the right way to live in this setting where there's people who follow Jesus and there's people who oppose him. How, how are we to live? Well, the one who lives wisely is the one who uses gracious words and is very careful with, with, what, with what is said. We need to think about, what when I open my mouth, is this going to be a help? Is this going to be a blessing to the people that are listening? Gracious speech here is speech that benefits other people. It doesn't just benefit ourselves. It benefits those who are hearing and listening. And words that are gracious have this, and seasoned with salt, have this purity. They're full of substance. They actually create a thirst in people that are, they, they become drawn in because they see, wow, this is different. This has a distinct, this person is different than our culture. They're distinct from the culture. And so it creates this thirst for more. Another passage which lays this out is 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. He, you know, there's, we have this hope, and, and people recognize that. Maybe we say something about it, or they see us living differently. And they want to know, why do you live that way? And, and oftentimes... The questions come in a hostile form. Sometimes they're not eager to know why you live this way, but they want to know why you live this way. And when you have the opportunity, you know, we can't just adopt the culture. We also can't just react to the questions from the culture. But the conversations we do have need to be done gently and respectfully. Now, this is a, this is a helpful verse to keep in mind and to not forget about as you interact in this culture, to be gentle and respectful. Because sometimes we get put in situations where we get backed into a wall on some difficult issues. Or we get backed into a wall because of our association with Jesus. And we can be we can tell, I'm being baited into a verbal fight. This is about to go really bad, really quick, if I say the wrong thing. And so we have to be very careful. People aren't always going to be gentle and gracious with you. They're not always going to be gentle and respectful with you. But we honor God with a gracious response. That's what Peter's writing. Here's why I put my hope in Jesus. In God's ways. Here's why. I have the hope that I, that I have. And then asking them, listening, asking good questions, not being arrogant. Here's two, two ways to influence in, in a loving manner. Number one is having helpful conversations with others about important issues. Understand, this is our primary way to interact with the culture, is to have helpful conversations. Talk about the issues. Communicate what God has to say. But do it in a, in a helpful way. Colossians and Peter gives us guidance on how to have these types of informal and relational interactions with 
friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, people who are maybe outside the faith, but God wants us to, to influence for good. This kind of influence can happen when we choose the right attitudes, when we, when we take the right positions because of Scripture, but we choose to do it from, from the right place. Again, gently, respectfully. Secondly, we use our rights and freedom to influence government in a way that really honors God. Again, this is a trust. We're, we're recognizing that we trust God to work within, even within this culture. We're trusting God. And our interaction, it, it communicates a great deal to others about this God that we serve and we claim to follow. Practically, here's some ways. One, be informed. Know what the current issues are. On our website, last week's message, there's a PDF, and you can go on there and you can pull up some of the hot topic issues of our culture and what God has to say. Um, I want to encourage you. Be informed. Discover what's God's perspective on the, on the current issues today and how this tidal wave of culture that's redefining normal. Look at what God has to say about this thing. Second, vote. You have a vote. It counts. So use your vote. Vote for those who, who best match up with the boundaries that God himself has set. But use your vote. Another thing is just have conversations. Have Conversations where you can articulate God's definitions of of normal, and then you can have you have you can have productive, meaningful conversations with people who are friends. Because winning friends over is much easier than trying to win over an enemy. And so we should interact with people like they they matter, and actually befriending people who who have opposite views. That that's that's good. Have conversations. Try to influence those around you. And then last. We have the opportunity to email. We can write. See, this is another way we can express our voice. It, it may seem like, well, there's, what's the point? We can't make a dent in the culture. It is like a tidal wave, and it's, it's, it's flowing out of our control. We can't stop the way that this culture is changing and moving with, with these different issues. Um, but Christians have influenced government for good throughout the centuries. The spread of Christianity and Christian influence on government was primarily responsible in the Roman Empire for outlawing um, infanticide, child abandonment, um, abortion. Women's rights were fought for, banning polygamy in several countries. Again, that's the impact of, of Christian influence on a culture. In India, the result of Christian just Christians living and and being a light prohibited the burning of widows, burning alive of widows. There, there's other issues in England, you know, slavery, the slave trade being put to an end. Again, Christians who were involved in making their voice known, but living within, living within boundaries. See, God has called the church, and He's called Christians within the church to work to bring about improvements, to work to bring about even change in society and throughout the world. Um, with, with, with the passage we were looking at in Romans chapter 13, you wonder, why in the world would God allow this emperor, this wicked emperor, and then allowing Christians to die on stakes and being burned alive and all of that? Why would he, you know? And we, we don't always understand all of these reasons of why God would do that. Within 300 years, though, Christianity spread and became you know, the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. And through that, the impact of Christianity has, has it paved the way for Christianity to impact the world. 
Now, you and I, we might have thought up a different strategy, but God didn't ask us. He didn't. He's working on a very, very different level. His thoughts and ways are very different than ours. And so, <clears throat> but he, wa- he wants us to understand he can, he can be trusted in this matter. And so I want to encourage you to pray for our leaders, to interact in a meaningful way with this culture, the people in this culture. I want to invite our band worship team to come back up and also our ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And if you take out that connection card, here's a few next steps. Number one is begin to pray that God will open doors to conversations. Maybe that's with neighbors, maybe it's others that you can influence. And then second, be more informed of key issues. Learn how to take action. Learn what that looks like. Practice being respectful. That, that might be a, the first step is just practice being respectful. Or maybe another step is just to, to complain less about the government and our leaders. Figure out what is a, a, a good next step for you this morning. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for, for your great love for us. Thank you that you can be trusted, that your ways are right. And Lord, as much as we want to experience heaven on earth right now, you, you haven't wrapped up history yet. Your patience, Lord, is, is tied to your great love for people. That You want more and more people to come to know you. And, Lord, we would just love to see everything right now fixed and evil done away with. And, but yet, Lord, you allow more time for people to come to know you. So, Lord, thank you for your great love and your great patience. We pray for our, our president, our governor, our mayor. Lord, we just ask that you would grant them wisdom to be able to rule this, you know, this city state, country, and the variety of issues that they deal with, Lord, I pray for wisdom for them, Lord, that they would seek you, Lord, that you'd speak to them and you'd work through them. Father, help us to show respect towards them. Lord, thank you that you keep us walking by faith and that we have to trust you with difficult things, even like this, and that you can work through us, Lord. Even in this room, may there be people who who choose to make a difference, Lord, in the social structures of our world. Give us clarity, wisdom. Help us to know how to interact in a a way that really honors you. Not so we'd make a name for ourselves, but that we would make you known in this world. Lord, we love you. Pray your blessing over this group. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.